Terry Latchman reckons being a pilot for the RFDS is the best job you could ever have. I'm doing something I love and I get paid for it. I'm getting to see the countryside, work in a really good team environment, very professional individuals, you know, helping the community. I don't know, 12 hours of this shift doesn't seem like 12 hours most days. Yeah, sometimes I have to sit back and go, well, that didn't feel like 12 hours. That was pretty good. Terry is a pilot for the RFDS Queensland section in Rockhampton. But it didn't always look like Terry was going to become a pilot. He always wanted to fly, but actually went to university to study mechanical engineering. He dropped out before gaining his degree and then spent years working in a completely unrelated field before saving up the money to gain his pilot's licence. Now he's been with the RFDS for five and a half years. I'm Edwina Stott and this is the RFDS Queensland Section podcast. In this episode of Roots to the Runway, you'll hear Terry's story. I sat down with Terry in between flights at the RFDS Brisbane base and he began by telling me about his lifelong love of aviation. I guess flying's been my passion ever since I was a kid. Going to the airport was better than going on a holiday. I was just, I love planes, I just want to watch them all the time. So that passion grew when I finished high school, all I wanted to do was fly. So I learned how to fly but I really, I guess I developed the passion for the RFDS after I got into flying and found out the kind of work that they do really remote and the journey has led me to here so so at school you knew you wanted to be a pilot so did your studies and your learning kind of take you that way your focus was always on learning to fly I suppose it was but my parents didn't really understand you know they just wanted me to get a degree and um to become a pilot you know when I was learning you can get a degree but you know you'll get a degree in aviation safety human factors those other degrees I just wanted to get out there and fly so you needed some money to pay for it and I had to basically quit uni and pay my own way. Wow so you started doing a degree what was the degree that you started? Uh, Mechanical engineering. So I bet that gave you quite a good understanding then. No it was more fluid mechanics you know moments in structures and things like that. It was boring for me and I wanted to be outside I didn't want to be inside so I only did a year and a half and it wasn't a lot of hands-on it was more you know um, classroom based theory and things like that so after convincing my parents to just let me quit. How much work did that take? Oh, it took a lot of work. After <laughs> six months, I wanted to quit. But they kind of advised me, just stay in and get yourself a degree. It'll just be a lot better in the future. But as you know, as a 19-year-old, I didn't really, you know, I just wanted to get there quickly. So quit uni, worked for a year, got a bit of money, and then, yeah, went straight into flying. Wow. Um, as in studying how to fly. Wow, yeah, because it's expensive to learn how to fly, yeah. isn't it? So you must yeah. have worked hard. Well, I was really a hermit. I didn't, you know, 19-year-old, I didn't go out, didn't see friends. Just worked, saved my money and then spent it all in a couple of months <laughs> the following year. So where did you learn to fly? I learned how to fly in Melbourne at a, a RAF base at Point Cook. Then just didn't have the qualifications to get a job. So I kept telling myself, yeah, I'll get some more money because I needed to further my studies mm. um, in flying, but just had no money. 
So I got a part-time job. That led to a full-time job, well-paying job. And then life kind of took over. I got a girlfriend, went overseas, you know, travelled a little bit. And then one day, you know, someone just said, look, if you really want it, you need to go and get it. Don't put money as an obstacle. Was there a point when you decided, you know, you're in that comfortable job, you had a girlfriend, you had kind of a nice, comfortable life going on. Was there a point in that where you thought, no, I've got to commit to this, I've got to do it? Yeah, there was that a person told me, you know, don't put money as an excuse. That's when I realised I've put so much effort into it, so much money into it, I've got to pursue it. But all I could see was the obstacles. There were a lot of obstacles. So what did you do at that point when you realised this was really what you wanted to do and it wasn't going to ease that passion for it? I hadn't flown for a couple of years. I was working full-time at the time. I saved us some money and decided to do my instrument rating and then just try and find a job somewhere. So So where was your first job flying? I went up to Darwin, knocked on every door there uh, during the wet season up there um, and basically they said, no, there's nothing. Yeah, I spent about, I think I spent about six weeks just every day just turning up and saying, is there anything, you know, I'll clean a hangar for you, I'll do baggage. No, no, there's already three guys waiting to do that. So I came back um, because I I was in a wedding party and came back to Melbourne. A month later, I decided to just visit some uh, skydiving centres. I found one in Torquay and for the next eight months, I just turned up every weekend, as well as working full-time. Turned up every weekend, refuelling, just helping out, just in my own time. And eventually the pilot left and I took over. And that's how my flying journey started, really. Wow, yeah, that's a lot. I think that's quite a common theme, isn't it, in the early story of becoming a pilot, that tenacity and really wanting it. I mean, you must have learned some pretty invaluable lessons in that. Yeah, persistence, probably. (laughs) You know, never give up. But you've also got to get off your butt and do something. You can't just sit there and think it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to you. So, yeah. And so when you got that first job, yeah. how did that feel, your first job um, flying? I think it's probably surreal because you're always waiting for it. Now that you've got it, you're kind of not sure what to do, <laughs> you know, because you haven't, you, you've just been striving for it all this time and then eventually you get it, so... Sometimes you've got to take a step back and appreciate where you're at and yeah. kind of pinch yourself. Yeah. And I have to say I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. I've been pretty blessed in that regard. That's so, great. Yeah. So you got your first job in the skydiving centre. Yeah. What was that like? What was it like when you actually were now flying as a pilot? Was it like, oh, my gosh, how did I get here? Or Yeah, it was, I guess it happens really quickly. Mm. So you take a bit of time, you realise, oh, you know the journey's starting but you don't kind of don't want to get ahead of yourself because it's still a really long way mm. you know but once you're in there you kind of get used to the operation and then you, you kind of look how you can further yourself mm. so then you know you spent a bit of time at the skydiving went to another skydiving center where they had bigger planes and then eventually found myself in central New South Wales in Dubbo. Um, that was my first aeromedical job. It was really low acuity. Um, Who yeah. was that flying with? It was flying with Wing Away, yeah. So I was the only remote-based pilot based there, and that's where I met my wife. Um, 
we spent a bit of time in Dubbo, um, just flying all around uh, the Central West, New South Wales. And then I eventually applied for a position in Darwin, flying a King Air for NTAMS, the Northern Territory Aeromedical Service. Yeah, and we moved there. Uh, when I first started skydiving, a, a lot of pilots think about which way they're going to go air. Most pilots go airlines or they just take any job that's available. But I've always wanted to go aeromedical. I've always read a lot of stuff on the flying doctors that it's a very rewarding career. So, you know, helping others. And that's what drew me to pursue a career in aeromedical. So, yeah. So initially you're in Rockhampton now as a pilot. Did you first start out in Rockhampton or have you moved around a bit? No, I've moved around. So learnt in Melbourne, first aeromedical job in Dubbo, central New South Wales. Moved to Darwin and was there with the company for four years. But we also moved to East Arnhem Land, a place called Gove. And that was, that was amazing. But I've always wanted to work for the fine doctors. So applied for the fine doctors from Gove and moved to Rocky. That was my first base. Interesting. So what was it about the flying doctor that made you want to work for them? Um, I guess when you think about aeromedical, you know, when I was learning how to fly or when I first got into aviation, you only knew of the flying doctors. Mm. You know, it's worldwide recognised. It's an Australian icon. It's got so much history. And back then it was just the flying doctors it was the hardest job you could get and the requirements were so high um, that it was harder to get into flying doctors and airlines so um, I guess all of those things attracted me yeah the, to the brand the name yeah the challenge of it it's the hardest flying I believe anyone will ever do mm. so. so are you from Melbourne grew up in Melbourne I'm originally from Mauritius ah, okay. beautiful island in the Indian Ocean but migrated here with my parents when I was 10. Wow. Yeah. So moving from, you know, spending from 10 to your teen years when you're in Melbourne and then moving to some of these remote areas, including Rockhampton. I know it's not one of the remote, the most remote areas that we have our bases in, but it's still quite remote for somebody who's from the city. Yeah. How do you find being in Rockhampton? Uh, I love it. I love the remoteness. I mean, I grew up in Melbourne, love Melbourne, but it's too busy. I don't like big cities. I prefer small communities after being out of there. So I don't necessarily find Rocky as regional. Mm-hmm. You know, I lived in Gove. It was 3,000 people. Six months a year you couldn't drive in or out because of the wet. Wow. So it's a bit of an adventure going yeah. remote. Rocky's nothing compared to that. No. What were you, were you were flying in Gove for an yeah. aeromed organisation? Yes. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. And so what was it like when you first got into Gove? What was it like adjusting to working there? Um, I was relieving out there when I was living in Darwin, so I kind of knew. And from Darwin, going out to communities, you get an appreciation of how people live, how small it is, how remote. It's like a different world up there, but it's it's a beautiful world. So it wasn't so much of a shock. Uh, the family visited and then we eventually moved there. We didn't stay there long. We only stayed there for three months, but it kind of left an impression on us. Mm, yeah. And so you've been with the Flying Doctor for five and a half years now. Yeah. You've obviously been flying a lot with the organisation. Yeah. Is there a particular day or a particular rescue that you've gone out on that really stands out as a remarkable day for whatever reason? Yeah, there are a few. 
the Rockhampton base, they don't do a lot of primary retrievals. We do more into hospital transfers, but occasionally you do get your primary. Those are the ones that stick out. There was another case, it wasn't a primary, but it took us all the way to Weeper. The only aircraft north of Rockhampton that could transport the patient was our aircraft. Our Cairns and um, Townsville were unable to do it. So it was the only job we did, but we, you know, we had to fly to Cairns, refuel, then all the way to Weeper, and then back out to Cairns, and then back to Rocky. It was a long trip. It's a really big day, but you know, just being in Weeper, and Weeper is kind of like Gobe. It's a mining town. Just really small community. When we got there, you know, the patient's family was all around, and then when we were about to take the patient to the plane, they all stood around. They said, "Oh, could we pray for you? Could we?" Just just being there with a family was really good, you know. Mm. Um, so those there was another case where there was a uh, it was at night, and a farmer had rolled his Polaris buggy onto himself he'd gone up an embankment and just rolled um, and he was trapped underneath his daughter had escaped when the rollover happened we didn't know the exact place where it had happened which airfield was going to happen where, where it happened where we could land sorry so all we had was a phone number that we couldn't reach so it was a lot of coordinating to try and see where we, where we could go as well as people on the ground over there but we eventually got there you know we rode on the back of a ute all the way 14 k's from the airport we did a flare landing into there because they had no lights what's a flare landing it's where they douse uh toilet paper in diesel and put them in drums and light it up wow. and they just uh strategically position it along the runway so all you see is the lights it was really cool of course, at the time, you know, the adrenaline, you've got a job to do. But when you look back, you go, oh, yeah, that's that's a rewarding thing. You know, we were able to achieve that. We were able to take that patient to the hospital so they could get better care. And that's the rewarding side of it. So, yeah, it's really good. And at the RFTS, you know, a lot of our pilots, I know a lot of what I've read about our pilots and what I've seen about our pilots is that they're not just pilots you know you do often have a very hands-on job on the medical side of things you know often it's just you and a flight nurse do you enjoy that part of the job and what is that like I do I always try and go into the hospital (laughs) I remember I've always enjoyed even in the territory yeah some half the time you're doing traffic control or because people trying to get in to see the patient, inhibiting the nurse and the doc, trying to deal with the patient. Sometimes you're just there for reassurance, some there just a helping hand. I personally like going into hospital. And so often it's just you and a flight nurse, not necessarily if you're flying to clinics or anything like that. What's it like working so closely with one other person in a tiny metal tube in the sky? (laughs) It helps if you like them, if you get along. But I guess you all realise that you've got a job to do and it's not just about, you know, yourself or the flight nurse. It's about the patient. Sometimes you have good days, sometimes you have bad days. The crew at Rockhampton are really good. They're really close. And, you know, when there's a job to do, we get in serious and we do it. But when we have downtime, you know, there's a lot of banter. 
you know, we joke a lot when we're not flying with patients or even on the ground. I guess that kind of keeps that camaraderie feeling going. Mm. And it does help, especially when you've got uh, cases that you really have to think about that really leave an impression on you. Mm. you do a lot of debriefs, but I guess you never know where you're going. So you have to work together to be able to achieve it. Mm. Yeah. And so what is a typical day at work for the RFDS like for you? Is there a typical day? No, there's no typical day. That's probably why I like it. I was on shift from 6 o'clock this morning, but we got a call at 5 to go to Injun. So we go. So considering all the hard work and effort that it's taken you to get to the RFDS and now you spent five and a half years with us, do you think it's worth it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't see this as a job. You know, I'm doing something I love and I get paid for it. I'm getting to see the countryside, work in a really good team environment, very professional individuals, you know, helping the community. I don't know, 12 hours of this shift doesn't seem like 12 hours most days. Yeah, sometimes I have to sit back and go, well, that didn't feel like 12 hours. That was pretty good. And what do your parents think now, now that you spent five and a half years with the RFDS and you're clearly hugely successful in aviation? Are they glad that you chose not to continue your degree? Yeah, they are. I think they realised that when I eventually got to fly King Air, they realised it, so... I mean, they're still a bit scared about me flying, but, you know, I think they eventually realised it, yeah. And what would you say to somebody who was starting out in that path, like you were, you know, struggling to get your first job, wondering whether to drop out of your degree, but still has that passion for flying and yeah. could see themselves working for the Flying Doctor? What would you say to them now? Uh, just persevere. Make the right decisions for your career and don't be afraid to jump into the unknown. It's a tough road. You're gonna have to give up a lot of things, but if you're really passionate about it, it's very rewarding. That was Terry Latchman, Rockhampton RFDS pilot. He's just one of the pilots who's shared their stories for the Roots to Runway series. You'll also hear from a former RAAF pilot, a commercial airline pilot, a bush pilot, and even a pilot who's hoping his daughter will be the next one to carry on the aviation legacy. So if you've enjoyed this story, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and listen to all the stories in the series from the RFDS pilots. I'm Edwina Stott, and this is the RFDS Queensland section podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.